In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Lightspeed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. The D23 Expo, the official Disney fan event, has now concluded. And wow, was it a fun time. Probably the most packed three days I've had in a long time. There's so much content to discuss, with a variety of guests. On this episode, I feature two interviews. First is a conversation with writer and YouTube personality, Mr. Daps on what it's like to cover some of the major programming and reacting to the monumental news that broke during the weekend. Later, I talk with author Kyle Burbank on holding a unique role at D23 Expo, serving as a vendor in the Emporium and selling his book, The E-Ticket Life, as well as his many experiences since attending the first iteration of the Expo back in 2009. Subsequent episodes of the podcast will also showcase other D23 Expo experiences, and per the good response from listeners and the sheer volume of cool content to share, the month of September will also feature a new episode of Notably Disney every Tuesday. Though this may not be the case every month, as much as possible I hope to share with you compelling interviews with authors, musicians, podcasters, and fellow Disney fans, so if it means few extra episodes, then that's great. And you may tell that my voice may not be sounding quite normal. Unfortunately, I caught a really nasty cold uh, after the expo, but the show must go on, and I was happy to have conducted a bunch of fun interviews in the days following this Disney fan event. Therefore, my voice may sound somewhat off during this and next week's episode, but I hope you bear with me. Uh, Also, I want to remind you to be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts, leaving a positive review and a good rating, as well as spreading the word to your friends and fellow Disney fans really supports the show, so I continue to appreciate it. All that said, on with the show, and first, an interview with Mr. Daps. Dapps. 
So this is our D23 Expo recap and review. We have a lot to cover in terms of summarizing what was a major event for those of us who are big Disney aficionados. And I am joined right now by Mr. Daps. You know him from Daps Magic and a lot of great content online in the form of videos and blogs and articles and lots of different things. So welcome to Notably Disney, Mr. Daps. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm hoping we can um, use the time today to talk a little bit about your experiences at D20 Expo, D23 Expo 2019, whether it be compared to previous events you've attended, and then really looking at the slate of programming that was offered this past year. So what, what has been your connection to D23? So we've covered D23 Expo since it first started, and uh, I wasn't at the first expo. I had to uh, have some staff members go to that one, but I've attended every one since then. And uh, it's one of those events slash experiences that every time it comes up, you get super excited, but also almost a little bit terrified just because of the enormity of it all. And, and so every time it comes up, there's always stuff that I absolutely can't wait for, but then there's that whole like, this many people that are all excited about the same thing in the same place, all crammed into that little, I mean, it's not little, but the Expo Center, you've been there. And um, and it's kind of always a little bit daunting because there's just so much and so many people. And, uh, and so I always have this like kind of double-edged sword feeling coming into it. And this year was was a little bit different just because I didn't know what to expect as much as other years, I feel like. We didn't know exactly what we are going to get out of Disney+. Plus. We didn't know for sure what we are going to get out of Disney Parks experiences and products because that's changed a little bit, and uh, that was just Disney Parks and Resorts the last time we had a D23 Expo. And so there's been some restructuring. There's Fox. There's, as I said, Disney+. And and all of this led up to a... uh, kind of an unknown expectation as I was coming into this, whereas maybe other times it's like, oh, we're going to hear more about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Or we kind of had a a vague idea of of what the big announcement was going to be. Sure. Well, you know, it really speaks to the evolution of the company, too, whether it be the acquisitions, as you mentioned, or even just shifting different entities around or under various umbrellas. So, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. So, so having gone to, I guess, the previous, what, what it would have been past four expos leading up to this one, what were your thoughts on the types of experiences you, you went through via past expos in terms of the programming, people you met, logistics? So one of my favorite parts of D23 expos are the people you meet. I think you could go to one of these things and do absolutely nothing in terms of programming and still have a good time uh, just because this is you've got this mutual love of Disney all in one place. So you're going to meet some of the most amazing people on the planet. Um, I've got a friend that came down from Northern California named Troy, and he spent I think he went to one panel over the course of the entire weekend. And that was because we had a plus one and brought him along. But he literally spent his entire weekend cosplaying and hanging out with other people that were uh, dressed up as well. And he had a blast. And I was it was kind of a different perspective for me to observe as we were going through this. For me, yes, I always love seeing the people, but the programming really is, is my primary focus. We've always covered the uh, Parks and Resorts uh, panel. We love to catch the Disney Legends panel. And then we usually try to pick a few um, other ones in there as well. 
but it really has been about what we can learn from the the D23 Expo for for Daps Magic as we've gone through the years. Uh, this year was different than other years for me coming into it, just because I felt like things, from my perspective, were set up a little bit smoother. And so in other years, I haven't exactly known the system of, of where I'm going to go, how I'm going to connect with certain people to get into my panels and whatever. And part of that's just been me not pushing as hard as I could. But this year, it seemed like things were just so easy for, for me. Um, they connected me with the right people. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I actually really liked the uh, was it stage pass. Um, that worked out really well for me. And I didn't get everything I wanted but I knew what to expect going into the weekend. And so it kind of structured my entire weekend a little bit easier where I was like, oh, I'm going to these two panels each day. And and so it gave me a framework which to build around my weekend. And then the rest of the weekend, I spent a lot of time uh, down on the floor and they had the stage show that was, I think, called the Expo Show that was always going on. And they had different panels happening around the floor too, whether it was the Marvel Pavilion or the Disney Plus Pavilion or the... Uh, whatever that main stage was, center stage, I guess, for the expo show. And uh, in, in other years, I've spent even more time on the floor covering things like that, but I've felt like maybe there wasn't quite as many um, consistent things happening. And so you'd have like a really, I remember two years ago on the uh, center stage equivalent, I remember it was still called center stage then, but they had uh, Paige O'Hara and I think she was singing music, uh, Disney music. And I don't think it was all from her movie, if I remember correctly. But like there were big things. And then there was other things that just you didn't really care about as much. And this time I felt like there was consistently good things that you could catch, even if you weren't in the main panels. And then you go off to the sides and you've got all of these different stores and pavilions and, uh, and places to visit. And there you meet a ton of cool people as well. And uh, it was really fun uh, getting to meet, like I met Lou Mangello officially uh, over the course of the weekend, which was a lot of fun. I met Matt from Attractions Magazine and uh, Tim from the Tim Tracker. And it was really a great thing getting to connect with these people that, you know, we basically all work in the same community and we're kind of aware of each other. But they're Florida, we're, we're California, we don't always connect in the same way. And so um, getting to geek out together was really a highlight for me. It's a way of, you know, making those connections and realizing that we're all part of the same community at the end of the day, which is pretty cool. Especially when we're all stuck in the same line. <laughs> yes, the same the same line. So I guess that leads to uh, something that was very much on the minds of a lot of people was the whole reservation system that was um, majorly flawed and an inconvenience for many in terms of the it initially not working and then yeah. it actually worked and then people were put in in a virtual queue did you talk with anybody as far as their interpretations of how how that unfolded it sounds like you got some reservations i know i felt very fortunate in getting some reservations too but not everybody was so lucky yeah it was it was an interesting thing because i definitely talked to quite a few people about their experiences on that and i heard the entire range from I love it. It's the best thing ever to this is the worst thing that's ever been done in the world of expos. And uh, so I kind of had to like put it all together in my brain and kind of listen to what was being said and observe the experience as a bigger picture from all of them lumped together, I guess you could say. And so my observations after listening to people for three and a half days is really I think it worked at some level. 
Um, however, I think it could have worked better. Uh, I think the the real challenge is if you didn't get into the the queue system quickly enough on on whatever day that was was it a Friday or no it ended up being a Saturday because it didn't work on Friday. Right. If you didn't get in right away, um, you basically were out of luck, and I think that was a bummer. And and that to me was the biggest um, downfall with the whole thing. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what the technical you know, I don't know technically why that happened or didn't happen. And so I almost kind of wish there'd been a uh, an email sent out or something that said, hey, you've got this time, you've got another time, and you get maybe not all of the stage pass, like as many stage passes, like divided up a little bit more or something, um, because it did seem like a certain group of people that whatever reason technology worked in their favor they came out really well with with stage pass and and then like my other buddy he didn't get any stage pass because it was still loading an hour after they opened up the program and so for him it was a really frustrating event and a frustrating or frustrating experience and then when it came to the weekend um, I think they could have communicated how the process worked in terms of who goes in first second and third um, a little bit more directly and I probably would have communicated that publicly um, because it just seemed like depending on who you talk to you might get a different answer and to me that's just a communication thing and that I don't know if that's because somebody wasn't listening when they're briefing people or if that's uh, a bigger issue and it wasn't for me the end of the world like we had a couple of, of glitches I guess you could say we're like oh we're in the wrong line and they moved us and and it could have been better but the, it worked out and um, and so I think there were probably some um, some things they can work out for if and when they do it the next time um, to make it run smoother to make it feel a little bit more fair and then I would just be more upfront about if you didn't get a stage pass this is what you need to do and I know they put out the videos and stuff and I actually thought they did a very good job with those videos but I also recognized that people like there's some people that just aren't going to watch a video and they want to read it. And and I kind of think maybe even having that on a sign as you walked in in the morning or something saying, hey, if you don't have a stage pass, this is how standby works. This is how gold members work and uh, and whatever is going to go. in. like I couldn't tell you who goes in first if it was I guess sorcerers always went in first, but I couldn't tell you if gold members or stage pass went in next because it seemed like different panels, they might have gone in in different order. And and I kind of think that could have been cleared up a little bit more to make it work a little bit better. On the flip side, I do think you could see everything that you really, really wanted to see for the big term things, um, even without stage pass, um, because it really it was an addition to the, the program or the way they've done lines in the past and not a replacement. Uh, so I had a, a buddy of mine, Andrew, and his friend Jake, that they really wanted to go to the parks panel. And so they got line at midnight on uh, Saturday night, and they got, I think it was second row for parks panel, and they got a fantastic spot. And so there still was the option to do it the old way. And I kind of think people thought that Stage Pass was completely replacing the old way to get into panels, and it really wasn't. It was more of an addition. I think it was really an effort to alleviate those overnight lines but i don't i don't think that part of it worked yeah you made a, a lot of astute points there that i agree with um whether it be the communication front or just the notion of of how how people were sorted because i i remember i think it was 
it was either day two yeah it must have been day two where i was lined outside of the convention center just to go onto the show floor and there was a cast member walking around there saying just so you all are aware the, the sorcerers are the ones who are going into the building first then we will follow them just to eliminate any sense of uh confusion Anxiety. on that front right yeah. exactly exactly but one thing I, I wanted to uh, touch on, because you, you made a really good point as far as there being so such a flurry of programming and a lot of counter-programming as well, whether it be on the show floor, on um, venues like the center stage, et cetera. What, what were some of the things that you were most anticipating going into the expo? And then ultimately, which experiences did you find most fulfilling? Uh, the thing I was definitely most looking forward to going into it was the Disney parks experiences and products. I'm still getting used to saying that, but um, that's that's kind of like we started as a Disneyland website. Like that was our primary focus when we got started 15 years ago. And so that's kind of always been home base of what I enjoy the most. And, and I go to Disneyland every Sunday and we just love the parks like that's amazing to us and so that was definitely the thing going into the whole weekend i was like if i don't do anything else i want to see that uh probably a second thing that i was looking forward to that i didn't really have expectations for was the expo show um just because this year i felt like they did it differently and i love that they had um bill rogers the voice of disneyland his wife camille who's the voice of uh, disney california adventure um, Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano, and then you got Brett Iwen, who's the voice of Mickey Mouse. And I was like, those four people, I actually know three of the four of those people um, decently well um, through the years. And I was like, those th those people are just so much fun together. There's no way this isn't going to be great. And, and that proved itself right, too. I think the unexpected surprise that I had no clue how much I was going to love it and became my absolutely favorite panel of the week and was the uh, Disney character voices 30th anniversary celebration. And uh, I I think part of it was I just, it was like, okay, this is gonna be a celebration. And I kind of thought it was gonna be um, kind of, I don't know, maybe just a conveyor belt of, of people and it would go too fast or something. And it would be almost like a, a quick history lesson. And it really was full of heart and it was full of fun and humor. And uh, they even pulled a couple of people up to do some voice acting with Jim Cummings and Corey Burton and just getting to hear these people's voices in their day voices. And then you connect them with their work voices, whether it's Mickey Mouse, Goofy, Donald Duck, um, Hondo and Akka. Like we had all these really awesome voices and then voices of like Moana and, and Little Mermaid. Um, and getting to hear that all come to life and seeing the love this department or this organization has for each other and for what they do, it really, um, I think it was a fantastic explanation point at the end of the, the weekend for us. It was what we ended our weekend on. Well, and I, I watched uh, that video online after the fact. Um, I think your video, actually, and uh, the recording. And I was thinking to myself, well, if that's not a representation of the best type of programming that the expo can deliver, I don't know what is. Because exactly. it was just, they were all firing on all cylinders, so many different voice actors in, in different domains, different ages. It was incredible. It really was. And like when, as you were speaking, I was like thinking of the different domains and voice actors is hearing Corey Burton do um, Professor Ludwig von Drake. And uh, I've been watching yes. DuckTales 
yeah, I've been watching DuckTales on Disney now, and I came home, and, and I just was catching up, and I was like, what do you know? Here's Professor Ludwig von Drake, and it was so fun thinking, oh, I just saw this guy, and then the end of DuckTales, they had a Darkwing Duck episode, and I was like, I just saw that guy, too, and it really brought things to life even more. Well, and I think what's just so amazing is that the the expo brings together all different facets of Disney, but they also really put a spotlight on folks who typically don't get the same attention as Absolutely. as a Robert Downey Jr. getting a Legend Award, right? You you have Corey Burton having his ten minutes of uh, of just pure joy and ecstasy. It was amazing to to watch, at least from a, a video standpoint. So I, I imagine in person it was incredible. It really was. And I, I'm wondering, too, because I was thinking in terms of how programming has evolved over the years. In previous iterations of the Expo, they've had panels with voices from the Disney theme parks. Um, so this this iteration, they didn't have that, but they had the Disney character voices. Do you um, Have you experienced the other voices panels in the past? And um, if so, thoughts on, on how that compares? You know, I did years ago, and I'm I'm trying to remember. I, I remember enjoying it a lot. Um, this one had, I remember laughing a lot and enjoying it a lot. And this had way more heart. Um, the moment where they were recognizing Rusi and uh, Rick Dempsey, who's the vice president for uh, Disney Character Voices, and he choked up and, and said he didn't expect that to happen. Like, that was a really touching moment. And if you watch to the the very, very end of the video, you hear them all kind of say goodbye in character. And you hear this little, uh, I don't remember what she said, but Minnie Mouse makes a statement there. And uh, I think it's we love you or something. But it, it really, like they, the other ones were more fun and funny and um, easier to geek out about because it's different things in the park. But this one definitely had a level of heart. Even as you were watching the different princess voices um, talking about their struggles and what they've gone through, and then just showing their genuine love for each other. Um, that was that was really touching, and I think it it had a different type of depth than the other panel did. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, and it seems like a, another moment that really represented that essence is when Paige O'Hara, the voice of Belle gave paintings to some of the other Disney princess voice actors because she's a, a famous artist as well. And to, um, for her to demonstrate that uh, not, and as Anika Noni Rose said, not, she's not doing this for show. It's just who she is. Yeah. She's just a sweet lady. And, and it really was, it was super cute watching just the, it was kind of like Christmas, what you want Christmas to be, where you give a gift that, you know, means something to them. And, and it really was touching. I, I agree. So so I guess moving on to the park stuff, because I know that's obviously your domain. What were your thoughts of the, the content that emerged? Anything that felt like a surprise or was underwhelming? What were your thoughts of that panel? I was I was there, too, and I know I was blown away, but I was also uh, shocked by things that were included and also things that were not part of the presentation. Yeah, I think there were some things that we kind of all were wondering about if it would pop up. Uh, Tomorrowland, I heard people from both coasts going, I wonder if they're going to announce something about New Tomorrowland. And obviously that wasn't announced. And uh, and there's always that ever-going rumor about Brazil, and that wasn't announced. And uh, so my world doesn't exist until it, it is. But um, what was announced, I thought that was perhaps 
probably one of my favorite things was um, for Avengers Campus when they announced the uh, the Quinjet attraction, the E the e tech uh, Quinjet attraction, where you're going to get to ride in a Quinjet, go to Wakanda, and basically be part of a battle of some sort. And uh, that was one I think that caught quite a few people by surprise. And I'm more excited about that one attraction than I am anything else with Avengers uh, Avengers Campus. Like I think I'm looking forward to Avengers Campus. It looks like it's going to be a really fun place to to experience and walk through and see the characters and. And I think the Spider-Man attraction will be um, pretty fun. But the Quinjet one was the one I was geeking out about when they were announcing it. And uh, they said it's going to be a new ride system. I'm assuming they're going to take what they've learned um, from Flight of Passage and Pandora and take it to the next level. Just I'm guessing looking at the concept art here completely. But uh, there's a lot of potential there. And and that's I just can't wait for that one. Phase two, unfortunately. So we're going to have to wait. But um, that part was really cool. I think the other big question mark going in was about what the future of Epcot looks like. And um, I walked out of that feeling really, really um, happy, I guess, comforted about the future of Epcot. Like, I love the direction they're going with it. Uh, they really are connecting with Disney fans that probably want a little more, quote unquote, Disney in the parks. But they're also being very respectful to the ideas um, that Epcot was created on, and um, the the whole I think the whole idea behind Epcot and beyond actually, um, Bob Chapek said something to the effect of when he was talking about uh, Spaceship Earth, he was talking about how Spaceship Earth is going to tell um, how storytelling has brought humankind or mankind together, and I really think that being the centerpiece of Epcot really is the story of Epcot, but really it's the story of the entire Walt Disney Company. Walt Disney Company exists really to use storytelling to bring people together. That's what Walt's original dream was when he was sitting on the bench watching the uh, the girls on the carousel. And, and I kind of had that moment of epiphany just sitting there listening to him speak about it and in realizing that, yeah, we're moving in kind of a really new direction for Epcot but it's still really keeping the ideas of of new technologies, imagination, um, celebrating the earth. Those kinds of things are still really much in the core DNA of what Epcot will be moving forward. So I'm super excited to see how this goes. Um, I'm really excited to see that new Expo Center because I think that's just going to be a ton of fun to take pictures of. But I also think it's going to be a great place to just go and look over. Epcot's a gorgeous park already. Imagine what it's going to be like from three stories up. And uh, I think it'll be a great new place to take pictures of Spaceship Earth, but maybe Imagination Pavilion, maybe um, Mission Space. I, I just don't know what you're going to be able to see from up there. So I think that's going to be really exciting as well. I think in terms of details for Epcot, uh, I'm looking forward to the new shows. I think um, Rami's Ratatouille Adventure will be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll probably like the Crepery next door even more because I, I love France and I love the food over there. Um, but there's a lot of uh, little things coming in. Or they're not little, but there's a lot of detail things that are coming into this park that I think are going to be really exciting. And, and just as I'm thinking through it, the new restaurant, Space 20, what is it, 220? Um, I think Correct. that's going yeah. to be super cool, too. And uh, the thing I love about that, too, is uh, there's always this 
discussion, I guess, is a good way to put it across the Disney community of how they'll only do stuff if it's related to an IP. And and this is, there's no IP here. There's no Star Wars. There's no um, Treasure Planet. It's just you're going to space for dinner. And and I, I was really uh, intrigued and val- I thought it was validating to uh, see that this is coming. You've got Awesome Planet coming to the land. I don't think that's connected to any IPs. I don't know how long that will last. I think that's a simpler thing. But uh, it was nice to see for all the new IPs coming in. There's also some things that are just a, hey, this is a restaurant in space and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I was joking with someone the other day. I said, what a relief it is that Buzz Lightyear is not the going to be engaging in a meet and greet at Space 220. I love Buzz, but he has a place and it's in Tomorrowland. So Yes. And don't give him ideas. <laughs> yes, well, you know what? I, I, they don't need to hear me to have generated that idea, but... Um, in any case, yeah, I think you're you're totally right on all of those different points. And I think, too, in terms of being Disney being very respectful and mindful of what Epcot represents, paying major fan service by having a Walt Disney statue. Oh, yeah, uh, that too. Located at uh, right behind uh, Spaceship Earth, I believe. So, yeah, that'll be cool. Well, and I think it's going to add some beauty to that area that as much as I love walking through the Fountain of Nations area, it's. Like, it's a gorgeous area in its own right. But this way, to me, is going to feel more relaxing, I think you could say. And I feel like it's going to be more immersive. Whereas Fountain of Nations, you kind of just watch. And it's more of a passive uh, experience, I guess you could say. And a lot of that area is you kind of watch this happen and then and then move on to the next thing. And uh, even the Moana, I'm forgetting what the the water thing is but it seems like they're really trying to make it more tactile and you're a part of the park and you're in the middle of the park as opposed to uh you know watching some really cool things right right and even with the moana even though you have that ip it didn't come across as like overwhelming right it was more of that it was just integrated into the overall concept of connecting with um you know the water system in our world Totally. And I'm really curious to see how much Moana you actually get in that beyond the name, because the the images I saw and then the video they were showing in the pavilion, I didn't see Moana walking around. I didn't see a big you know statue of Moana. It seemed like it was really playing up the water in that part of the story from her movie. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a meet and greet there at some point. But we have meet and greets everywhere. So I, I really don't have a problem with that. And I, I think it's it's a really good use of the space and the IP. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and with all of the stuff coming out of, I still want to call it the parks panel, but parks experiences and products. Totally we can just <laughs> we can call it the we can just call it the pep panel. That's easier, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, That's a good. But the but the notion is we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because co- concept art changes, and so do exactly. actual. You know, originally, what was it? Uh, was it the it was the first D23 Expo, I think, when they announced New Fantasyland. And, you know, those uh, some of those princess meet and greets didn't materialize. Right. So, well, And that's half the fun of what we do, isn't it? Like, it's getting to watch. Now, we're a part of this point in history where we've seen this concept art. We've got, like, we put a video up of the video, the Epcot video that they had that was all concept art. And part of the reason I did that, I was like, imagine in two, three, five years going back and watching this video. And then seeing how things evolved and changed. And I think that's half the fun at Disney. 
two questions for you before we wrap up. So sure. one of them, one of them is, did you experience anything at the expo, Mr. Daps, that was related to or connected to books or music from Disney? So I spent probably a half an hour at the Disney Music Emporium. Um, I actually collect LPs. And I was sitting there just going through all of these different uh, records they had there. And some of them were new, some of them were old. And the old ones were really capturing my my imagination. You know, they had some old attraction uh, attraction in Disney Park. And then they had some great soundtracks as well, which really are some of my favorite things. But uh, I could have spent a ton more time there. Um, one of the things I wanted to go to that I had a conflict with panels for was Kevin Rafferty's panel on his new book. And uh, that book I just absolutely loved. And uh, can't I can't say enough good things about it. And, uh, and so I wish I'd had more. But really, it was the the records in the music emporium that I stopped by. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, I saw lots of long lines around there. So people were getting their their fair share of the LPs and the cool content. And hopefully that leads to more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, last Expo-related question for you. What opportunities do you see for improvement based on what you saw this time around or or what felt lacking? I think the biggest thing, and this is what I kind of tell my team also all the time, is the more you communicate, the better off you're going to be. Um, just because in a situation like this, everybody is anxious to get into whatever it is they're excited about. And it's always better to know that you're not like flat out, a flat out no is always better than a false hope, I think. And um, and so I think if I were the guy in the room making all the decisions, I'd just be like, hey, you know what? This is how the system is gonna work. We are gonna over communicate it on every possible way. We're, we're gonna write it, we're gonna do it on video, we're gonna do it on that new Disney podcast they just started. Um, and And I just think you can't, there's nothing that's bad that's going to come out of that. You might have some people that don't like what you're saying, but they're still not going to like it when it happens to them. So you might as well get that part over with earlier. And uh, I, I just think most of the issues I saw throughout the weekend revolved around communications. The other part, I think, on the flip side is I think the system would always or would work better is if we as guests were more open to what was being said. Um, I observed multiple times throughout the weekend where people didn't like the way the system was working. And so they felt that it just shouldn't apply to them. And and that doesn't work for anybody either. So I kind of saw both sides of this where it was like, yeah, it's a flawed system. But when you attack the flawed system and decide just not to use it, you make a flawed system um, even more broken. And, and there's really nothing Disney can do about that at that point other than try to deal with it on the individual basis. And, and really, if, if it were me, I'd kind of be like, I would I would apologize politely and say, hey, you know what, this is what it is, and you're you're kind of out of luck, and um, and so I kind of saw this this twofold thing. Both of the things uh, I think that that could be improved really revolved around how you you relate to other people, and not necessarily about the panels, the system, the floor plan, all of those kinds of things. Because I think that big picture thing worked out fairly well this time. Um, what I think could always be improved upon is the way uh, people are treated and in the way we react to people and and that's just life you know that's that's just kind of I think in general the more you you respect people and you um, respect systems the more they work and and so I kind of think 
that could have happened on multiple fronts. And that's just a hard thing to do when you have, I don't know how many, probably a couple thousand cast members working over the course of the weekend. And then you've got tens and tens of thousands of, of Disney fans. there all wanting to get their, their time and their money's worth. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's going to be a challenge moving forward. Like that's not a quick fix. That's not an easy fix. And, uh, and it's a lot easier to, uh, point and blame than to uh, stop and take stock and be like, hey, what can I do better? Right, right. Well, and it, what further complicates it, too, is that the folks working at the expo come from so many different divisions of the company, as right. well as at Anaheim Convention Center. So you have miscommunication and, and lack of coherence across the different entities as well. So yeah, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> I would not want to be the guy in charge. I mean, Good job for them, because I mean, I will say this is I've observed each time each one has gotten a little bit better. And and so I have to give them a lot of credit for that because they do. And this is what Disney does is they always try to make things better and they try to learn from their mistakes of the past. And so I really think they've um, they've improved on it. I'd like to see them continue. Like, I really would like to see what the next step is, because I really like the digital or virtual queuing of the stage pass this time better than Remember how you had to get in those lines to go up and get your stage pass last time? Oh, yeah. I don't know if yep. it was the last one, but um, but this was such a way better system than that because there was the mad rush every time that it was time to get a new stage pass. And uh, and to me, that was way more stressful than, you know, a couple minutes online as you watched a green bar go across and then you were opening up the panels and you could click on them. And uh and, and I knew right then what I was getting and what I was not getting and, uh, and able to plan that way. So I, I think it's heading in the right direction. I just would say, you know, don't stop, but keep working on improving. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I attended the first expo and I remember there were just logistical nightmares um, at that one. And then I went to the second and third. And by that point, they had introduced the physical vers- version of Stage Pass. And it yeah. was flawed, but it, it operated fine. I didn't go to the... the fourth and fifth expos but um but i heard some of those issues and yeah i think you you made a lot of good points and ultimately disney d23 they are making improvements there are some hiccups along the way but when you're dealing with a massive event like this there are bound to be issues exactly and as we both attested to there are bound to be lots of awesome successes and experiences so so yeah it was a another wonderful and jam-packed three days (laughs) absolutely yeah so i'm hoping we can conclude mr dapp so with every episode and every guest more importantly we have some disney related questions so it's a segment that i call ask my questions and get some answers and this and this includes three standard music related questions two standard book related questions and then there's one random Disney question. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Raise yourself. So first one, <laughs> what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Um, so we had the record set that was the, I think it was called Disney Classics, and it had five records in it with a bunch of different um, songs from the parks and the old movies. They only went up to about the late 70s. And that was what we listened to all the time. And from that, the most frequent soundtrack that appeared would probably be Mary Poppins. Awesome. What Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? 
So maybe it was at the expo, or maybe it's in the days since. But so this one's kind of weird. But uh, with the Lady in the Tramp trailer, it got me thinking of the original Lady in the Tramp. And there's a song that Jim Deere whistles when he's coming home from work, and and Lady comes up, and, and that's how she knows he's home. And then they use it as a theme throughout the soundtrack. And that has been stuck in my head for like a week. That is such a niche answer, but I love it. <laughs> I go geeky, sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're in the right place. It's funny because there's a, a cue from the film and I can't, it's been so long since I've seen the original, but, and I'm not sure if it's the whistle or it's perhaps a, a different part of the score, but it's like a very uh, lighthearted theme and it just captures the essence of, of the movie. Very whimsical. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, and as I hear dogs in the background to reinforce that we're talking about Lady in the that's, Tramp. That's my little dog, Wendy. Yes. Aww. <laughs> I love it. The, the poignance of the moment. Uh, third music related question is what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, underrated. I actually might go back to Lady and the Tramp for the score. Um, that's got a fantastic score. I also really like the score to um, actually, I'm going to say uh, Pete's Dragon. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm going to kick it for it. I, I've always felt like that one has a lot of heart and um, it's one that gets glossed over a lot. And it's it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it has some really fun songs. That'd actually be the perfect way of describing it. <laughs> I was, I felt like it would be, I'd be like a pariah by saying I don't love the movie at all, but I love the music. I, I think that's really what that movie has is it's got some cute moments, a really fun soundtrack, and then the movie itself. I can tell you the last time I watched it, but I do listen to the soundtrack occasionally. Yeah, yeah, it's a great one for sure. Uh, moving over to books, uh, and I think I know the answer to this, but. What is the most recent Disney book that you read? Um, the Kevin Rafferty one. Um, I just read, and I'm spacing the exact title of it at the moment, but uh, it, it was it was one of those books that I picked it up, and I was like, oh, this will be a nice read. And then as I was going through it, you suddenly realize that it's not just a, a nice read, but it shows the highs and the lows of this guy's career and how the lows led to later highs. And, and I kind of think that's something that a lot of Disney books, you just hear about the cool things, um, the magical things that happened, which are always a lot of fun. But getting to hear like how he got let go from Imagineering and was working in a marketing agency and how as working at that mar marketing agency, it really set him up for um, what he would do as a writer um, someday in the future at um at imagineering it's called magic journey uh, my fantastical walt disney imagining career and imagineering career and i just really liked how he shared the highs and the lows and and how long he spent trying to come up with a mickey mouse attraction for example or how one thing didn't work out so it led to him being part of tower of terror and, and creating that in walt disney world so really a fantastic book really enjoyed it can't say enough nice things about it and he's just a fantastic guy Yes, I, I agree with you on on those points. And yeah, I think there will be a great opportunity to, to dive more into that book because I know it's going to be a staple in, in many people's homes if they're Disney files. It really uh, should be. So the next question is, 
if you could write a Disney book on any topic, what would it be about? Good question. Um, I actually think if I were to write a Disney book, I would probably write it on the fandom and the history of that. Um, I think I've been an annual pass holder at Disneyland for more years than I'd admit. I think 24 years, maybe 25. And it's really been interesting watching the culture evolve both on the fandom side, but also on the cast member side that interacts with the fandom. And part of that has come through the advent of social media, and that changed things a lot. And it actually changed the way that Disney uh, creates the magic and maintains the magic. And so I think I'd probably go into something like that of how it's changed over the last probably 30, 40 years. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I think the the notion of fandom and and those hardcore fans examining what their experiences have been like. And that, that would be a really rich topic. Uh, I know it's been covered a little bit in uh, academia, but not necessarily like mass market stuff. So exactly. love that. Yeah. So last question for you. This is a, a random question. Uh, and it's kind of in honor of one of the main events at D23 Expo, which is the Disney Legend Ceremony. So if you could have lunch with, any person who has been named a Disney legend over the years, who would it be with and why? Good question. Um, I would probably choose Richard Sherman. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going, that's going to be weird, but I'm going back with him and Fred McMurray, who's no longer with us. Uh, mainly, I love his old movies, but Richard Sherman. Um, has such a fantastic grasp of the storytelling of music and what it does. Um, I, I think that would be fantastic. I've met him a couple times, and uh, we just never had enough time. And so I'd love to delve into those conversations a little bit further. Awesome. Well, I think he's the epitome of a Disney legend, right? So He absolutely is. Well, it's been great talking, D23 Expo and, and other uh, topics, uh, favorite Disney things with you, Mr. Daps. How can how can listeners find you on social media, online, and listen to your podcast, too? Sure. We put everything on dapsmagic.com. That's D-A-P-S magic.com. And then I personally am on social media as Mr. Daps for just about everything. And uh, you, can find, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, all of those things as Mr. Daps. And so pretty easy to find. Keep things simple. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me today. And also thanks for you and your team, your great coverage of, of D23 Expo, because whether folks actually can attend the event or, or not, having, having a lot of that documented, especially in video form, is really useful. So appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Mr. Daps for joining me. And we now transition into a conversation with Kyle Burbank. All right, I am now joined by Kyle Burbank, who's the author of the E-Ticket Life Stories, Essays, and Lessons Learned from My Decidedly Disney Travels. I met Kyle at D23 Expo, and I'm glad that he could join me today on Notably Disney. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Great. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I know you had a really packed weekend out at the expo and hoping you could share a little bit about your experiences in the Emporium and the show floor and what you saw and who you met. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. 
And yeah, I definitely have a different kind of experience at the past few expos. I, I've been to all the expos, but the first ones were as a guest. And then the past three expos now, I've been an exhibitor. So I don't get to go to a lot of the panels, but I do get to meet a lot of cool people and see a little bit of the show floor. Gotcha. So I guess looking back at your prior expo experiences when you were first as a guest and then the subsequent ones as an exhibitor, what were some of the, the moments or experiences that stood out prior to the 2019 iteration? Well, I think just seeing the expo grow as much as it has has been kind of crazy for me. I kept talking about it uh, with anyone who would listen. At the first expo, I got there at like five in the morning and I was still maybe only like the 30th person in line just to get into the building. So not even for a particular panel, a lot of the people wanted to just go shopping. So we were in like the front row of of the expo, of, of the uh, legend ceremony that year, that first year. So that, that part's been kind of crazy for me. But also when I look back, that first expo also really had kind of led me to where I am today in a lot of ways. I met a lot of people through that first one, including uh, one of the people who I work for at Laughing Place, who also published my book, and a lot of other really close friends that, I, that I've uh, grown to know over the past 10 years. So that all happened because of expo. But now, you know, I, I it's because it's grown so much, I almost couldn't imagine going as a guest anymore. So I kind of like having that middle ground where I get to experience part of it, but don't have to worry about standing in long lines or anything like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, yeah, I was there at the first expo too, and I remember being there for Legends and thinking, wow, this is such a unique experience. And at the time, the first expo was four days, and it was so original and different and then now the expo has become almost an institution for disney fans oh it definitely has and it's gone through a lot of ups and downs like i feel people at first didn't really like d23 they weren't sure about it and then the expos kind of you know kept growing and people started to embrace it and then at a certain point you turn people off because they got so busy but that doesn't seem to have stopped people because this one was just as busy as ever and sold out faster than ever before so yeah, that's definitely the case. So what were what were some of the highlights for you looking back as a guest and then the prior iterations of the expo once you started becoming an exhibitor? Um, I'd say for the ones that I attended as a guest, I've always enjoyed the parks panels, uh, just knowing what's coming up, even though I, I have made a list. Not everything comes to fruition that they announced, so that's kind of fun to look back at. But yeah, I think that first legend ceremony was really was really special because I was so close and it really meant meant something. And that was actually they had Tom Bergeron host the first one, if you recall. Now Bob Iger does it, which I think works better. Uh, but there are so many fun moments in that first one, like uh, Betty White going up before she she was called. I think that was the first one. It might have been the 2011, but I think no, it, was it was the, the first, first one. Expo. Yeah, it okay, was cool. Yeah, so then that was the one with Robin Williams and uh, a bunch of great people. Um, but then transitioning over to the exhibitor side, it's just been really cool to... I'll, I'll tell you, when you walk in to set up your booth on usually Thursday, you are not convinced that it's going to come together and be what it is on Friday. You're just like, there's no way that this is going to happen. But then sure enough, you show up early Friday morning and it's all just pristine and perfect. And then as soon as the, the clock strikes 7.01 on Sunday, the carpet's being rolled up. There's forklifts passing you. It's 
really impressive what a production this is on so many fronts and how it comes together so quickly and then you know just is gone just as quickly as it came so could you maybe speak to what it's like to be an exhibitor from the standpoint of setting up I know you said on Thursday there's the notion of how is this even going to come together what 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 responsibilities do you have in, as an exhibitor in setting up your booth so our experience is a little bit different than some of the others like you see a lot of people that are have much larger booths than ours so there's actually a company that they contract through to where you can rent things from them and ship things to them and they'll bring it on pallets so it's a little bit weird for us because we're just, you know, a few schmucks carrying boxes of books. Uh, but, you know, we, we carry in our stuff. We get our credentials. And basically that first day for us is just hanging up the banner and trying to figure out where we can where we can put it, everything. So it's, it's kind of cool to get a sneak peek of what's coming. Um, and it can be frustrating sometimes because... Because we're not a big booth, we don't get some of the same privileges as far as like, like this year, they actually added extra security. So we had to go through a whole screening process. We had to carry our books from our uh, from our car, go through metal detectors, scan our badge, just like everyone did in the morning, and then go through and go to our booth instead of just being able to, you know, pull up the car in the back and carry it in. So it's definitely been different the way it's evolved in that aspect, but being a smaller booth, it's it's uh, it's good. It has its pros and its cons. So you're essentially not, you know, some of those people who are bringing in carts of Disney pins and frames and those really big pieces of merchandise. No, those are usually who we're surrounded by. Like, I imagine that all of those, you know, that kind of black, um, like, how would you call it? Like, squares and things like that. Like, that sort of, like, metro shelving type stuff. I feel like that's all rented. Um, but obviously, they have to bring all their own merchandise. And I hear that a lot of those vendors actually replenish their merchandise throughout the weekend. So that's another whole thing is every day at the expo, they're getting new shipments they have to set up for. We're just we just have to bring in a few extra books and <laughs> stack them on our table. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I wasn't at the the twenty fifteen and seventeen expos, but I, I know you said you were an exhibitor. Um, for both of those as well, were you uh, were you working alongside Aaron Walls for both of them? Yeah, so Aaron has been with me the first uh, for the first well, all three of the expos that I've been to uh, as an exhibitor. So I debuted my book at the 2015 Expo, and he was debuting, I believe, the second edition of his Magic Kingdom book. So I floated the idea of him him joining us and and kind of doing signings throughout the day, and then having me just work the booth the rest of the time. And then last, the expo, I always want to say last year. That's the thing about the expo being every two years. But the 2017 expo, he also joined me, and I believe he debuted, I don't know if that was the debut of the Epcot one or the Hocus Pocus one, but they were still relatively new at that point. And then this time around, he actually came out with his third edition, uh, the 2020 edition of his Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom book. And it arrived at the very last minute. He had some shipping issues, so he actually put it out on Sunday uh, at the very last minute. And but yeah, he's been there the whole time, and we've we've enjoyed doing it every time. So hopefully, we get to do it again soon. And this time, we actually had another author with us as well, Jeff Barnes. Uh, he was supposed to be in New Zealand, and then found at the last minute he didn't have to go to that, so was uh, looking for a table to join. And so we invited him to come hang out with us. Awesome. It's a party. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, it, you kind of feel that, too, 
it's a little confusing, I think, for some people walking by is because we do have all these different books for sale, but we're also trying to promote laughingplace.com at the same time. So it, it gets a little confusing, but when everyone's there and just hanging out, I, I think it's a ton of fun and getting to just greet people, interact with them. Yeah, well, I, and I know even in looking at some of the uh, material that was being produced prior to the expo and trying to see the list of exhibitors. And I had identified Laughing Place, but I wasn't necessarily uh, expecting both of you to be there uh, selling their selling your books. So it was kind of cool that uh, it affords that outlet as well. Yeah, there's definitely there's a lot of rules to what you can do with the expo. But at the same time, we've definitely made our own. I don't think there's any other booth quite like ours. I know there are other authors and other websites, but I don't know if there's uh, websites with authors. Hey, that's a, a, a trademark element that you can uh, carry, I suppose. <laughs> so Trademark so I, confusion. Yes, exactly. So I'm wondering, Kyle, what, what were some of your expectations going into the 2019 D23 Expo, whether it be for you at, at your booth uh, and or programming at the event more generally and the type of news that would emerge? Yeah, I mean, I think for this one, I was definitely expecting large crowds, especially because it sold out early. And I was really curious how they were going to handle the whole Fox thing, because obviously that's new since the last expo. And then we found out that they were going to do the Simpsons panel. So that was part of it. But then we had all those question marks surrounding like the studios panel. Are they going to talk about Fox releases? Um, are they going to it was kind of a long shop. Are they going to put any Fox properties new Fox properties into the parks, but they already have Avatar. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest question. And then obviously Disney Plus, which turned out to be a huge part of the expo and also kind of changed the way that they did the panel structure because it was more by medium than it was by studio, uh, as you might expect. So, you know, Disney Plus had a panel and then television and uh, the studios. So I think as far as news we probably got about what we were expecting, but maybe not quite as much. Like I think people were expecting more from the parks panel for better or worse. And as far as other studio announcements, it seems like there's only a couple of new titles and just some footage, which is always surprising because that's probably the most popular panel of the entire weekend is always the studios panel. I assume because people, you can't bring your phones in there. So that's the only thing where you're going to see footage that you might not see for several months and get to see all these stars, which I know is a big deal for uh, some people. Right. Well, yeah, and I remember I, for at least the first three expos I attended, I went to the studios panel, and you know, you had to wait a few hours, and but it was fine. And you know, this time, folks had to line up probably seven plus hours beforehand to really guarantee a seat, unless they had a stage pass. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that can be attributed to that first expo with uh, Dick Cook, who unfortunately was fired a few months after the expo. But he made the studios panel such a spectacle, especially in comparison to the to the parks panel that happened later. But that was the one where he brought out, you know, Johnny Depp in character as Jack Sparrow and had um, all sorts of of stars and special things happen. I think that's kind of what established that as a must, a must do uh, event. Well, and especially if you think back to how they announced uh, basically brands and banners that never even materialized. Like they had yeah. that Disney double dare you horror like uh, umbrella that never, never came to surface. 
Yeah, we were actually looking back at that first one. And so in addition to Disney Double Dare You was the absolute first thing I put on the list of when I was making a list of all the canceled projects I could remember. And they also announced the cheapest Muppet movie ever made, which you could argue became the Muppets, but it wasn't that script. So I think that counts as a cancellation. They announced a Robert Zemeckis directed 3D version of uh, the Beatles, Yellow Submarine. And they also announced um, Old Dogs 2, I think was announced at that expo. So, or not Old Dogs 2, sorry. uh, Yeah, Wild Hogs 2, thank you. Yeah. But we Same also thing. got old, old dogs as well. It was a lot of hogs. <laughs> I think old dogs is why Wild Hogs 2 didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Poor Travolta. Poor Travolta. <laughs> but I, it, it, yeah, kind of like the, the idea of that the studios is like the signature expo event. And in essence, I think for this past iteration, Disney Plus really represented that. Yeah, I mean, f- I heard... So I'll, I'll I'll out him. Aaron said it was disappointing. I don't know if he got to see the entire panel. But as far as everyone else I've talked to, everyone was just kind of bowled over by that Disney Plus panel. And you saw on social media that there were huge lines to sign up for it afterwards. And I, I thought that one probably had the most surprises. Like, obviously, we kind of knew that the Obi-Wan series was going to happen. But I don't think anyone knew about... Lizzie McGuire, I think that was a pretty big surprise. And uh, and then just all the other getting to see the stars and getting to see some some footage of these projects that we had already he- heard about. So, yeah, I think that was I think you're right. I think even though it might not have had the same reaction beforehand, I think it probably people came away from it thinking that it was the highlight of the weekend. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I was in that um, panel and there were some guys probably in their mid 20s or so more or less around my age sitting in front of me and they basically lost their minds when they announced some of those uh original marvel series on disney plus that are based on very obscure comics so people some people were absolutely thrilled by some of the things that they announced did you end up signing up for disney plus i did and i was planning to regardless of attending the the panel but i i also got the the three-year package uh, the founder circle it made clear sense to me based on the content but how about you were you persuaded oh yeah i mean i was going to i think we actually did it before the panel but i thought that was a a great deal uh, i did find out that in some states like florida they charge tax on streaming services so there was a little bit of a discrepancy one of my friends signed up and paid 159 dollars, whereas for everyone else it was like 141 or 140 97 or whatever so i thought that was kind of funny Huh, that is interesting. So so I guess I have to ask then, what, what series or film are you most looking forward to seeing on Disney Plus? Um, I think probably uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. My wife and I are big into Marvel, especially the most recent phase. So I think we, we both are really love those two characters. So I think that'll be a great show. Although unfortunately that one doesn't come out for a while. So in the meantime, I'm really interested just to see what library content they have. Um, going back and watching 30 years of the Simpsons. And yeah, I think that that's most of it. I, I think a lot of the larger projects they have besides like Mandalorian and stuff are coming a bit later. So it'll take a little bit of time, but got three years. Yeah, no, there will be a lot to look forward to. Um, and speaking of things of 
to look forward to once you were at the expo and and talking with people what were some of some of their reactions to the news that was coming out or the opportunities they had to experience while while there that weekend um i think the biggest thing i got i mean this came later in the weekend but i feel people were really relieved by the parks panel and then in turn were really nervous beforehand uh because you know aaron has a book called thinking fans guide to walt disney world epcot and so a lot of people would walk by and look at his book and of course comment on you know some people were upset about some of the announcements but i think on the whole there was relief Uh, or at least you know okay well we escaped this one they didn't mention figment so i guess that's a good sign well they didn't mention it besides the guy saying that he he liked him right exactly exactly so being out in the emporium for for a good majority of the of the expo um what were your experiences like in terms of talking with people did you meet any interesting uh celebrities or or disney stars or um or even just casual fans well one of my favorite parts of the expo is just getting to see people i've known for a long time um i actually saw a girl i used to work with at one of the movie theaters in chino hills california and she works for i knew this but she works for disney tv animation now so she's been working on the phineas and ferb movie for the past several months so it was really cool to catch up with her and then see a bunch of other people walk by uh, and then in terms of just casual fans it's always fun to to geek out over certain things like i saw someone from the uk had a fan days lanyard on which was an event at uh, disneyland paris so we were talking about how fun that was robin lopez who is an nba player uh came by the booth he actually knows Aaron and is a fan of his work. So we were chatting and I had a Tokyo Disney shirt on. So we were talking about how great that resort was. And so, yeah, it's just a great opportunity to talk to people. And then Aaron has a book about Hocus Pocus as well. So people would try to chat about that. And I'm not a huge fan of that. So then I got dirty looks, but you know, it's okay. Right. Well, that's the beauty of Disney. There's, there's so much content that, you know, if something doesn't strike your fancy, then there's definitely something else. How do you feel about Hocus Pocus? I'm I'm a, I'm a fan. I definitely enjoy it. I've I haven't watched the the movie in quite a while, but uh, I appreciate what what it offers and the. I really love. I'm a big music person, hence the the notion of the podcast. And I really love the score for that film, mm. um, which is very '90s. Uh, John Debney, the composer. So that's fair. So, I didn't see it as a kid. Or at least if I did, I don't remember it that well. So I think that plays a big part into it. Yeah, I think that's with a lot of films that like if you look back on, would your would your vantage point be different? I, I asked myself that with a lot of films that I know people loved as kids. I never saw them. I'm like, I don't see the appeal. So I get that. What were uh, did you did you see any interesting cosplay while while you were stationed at the booth or walking around? Yeah, so that was actually a, a good chunk of my day was spotting cosplay and trying to take pictures for our Twitter and for our website. Uh, one of my favorites was actually just pretty simple. Uh, it was just someone in a Spider-Man costume, but they had a handwritten sign that said, I belong with Marvel, not Sony. So the topicality of that one really uh, hit home and resonated. Um, and I just, I think one of my my favorites are the kind of mashups that people do. So I think one of the best ones I saw was there were a couple of people dressed as Jedis, but they were like a Jedi Sully and a Jedi Boo. 
And then they had a BB droid that was green like Mike Wazowski. That is clever. That's really cool. Yeah. I think I saw someone on the show floor wearing a huge fur coat kind of echoing Sully. And then she would open it up and it would be in the vein of Mike with the the green uh, coloring, but also like lots of eyeballs scattered across the dress. It was really neat. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, you always see the people who they're more than just costumes. They have like vehicles or like there was someone who had like a full like haunted mansion uh, display, like with moving doom buggies surrounding her. <laughs> and then there's the guy in the pirate ship with the working cannons and everything. Right. Right. The haunted like, mansion. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying it's a it's a trip to see all these how much work go into these costumes and even the not just costumes, but the tech behind it and everything is really impressive. And you wonder how they how they can stand to walk around a show floor all day like that. No kidding. No kidding. And the individual who dressed up as Haunted Mansion actually won the the masquerade uh, competition, which was really impressive. Oh, OK. Yeah, I missed I missed that, but that makes a lot of sense. So that was kind of neat. Well, uh, when you're walking around the show floor, did um, did anything strike you as particularly interesting or um, enjoyable? Uh, well, I wanted to make a point to go over to the the parks display, and that was pretty cool. It's a little bit. I don't know if it's different than the past couple or past few years, but I remember they used to have like a longer line and like a actual entrance pre-show and then you get to go inside so this was just a walk up which made it easy to to head over there on the last day before it closed up um and i thought it was pretty cool i really love the art for all those epcot posters that they made or some of them i think well i don't know if any of them were official i think all of them were were new really nice and i really enjoyed looking around the marvel area i thought it was interesting how it was almost its own section of the parks it it was almost disconnected, which sounds like a bad thing, but I thought it worked. Yeah, no, that was very cool. And I actually asked one of the cast members there, are, are you guys going to be selling the Epcot posters? Because I will be the first to sign up. Uh, ultimately, no. But I, I think there's definitely a market for them because it was a very unique style that I think a lot of fans would gravitate toward purchasing. Yeah, and I like that they had, you know, they had the two posters that they unveiled after the parks event. But then I did like that it was a mix of retro attractions and current attractions. I thought that was probably smart on their part because <laughs> it kept it with their theme of saying that they're keeping everything in the vein of keep it, you know, bringing Epcot back to what it was supposed to be. And it's debatable whether or not that's actually what they're doing. But, you know, props for trying. Exactly, exactly. So I guess uh, reflecting on on the 2019 D23 Expo, Kyle, what what do you feel uh, Disney accomplished very well, and what missed the mark? And and then the third point, what could be improved for the 2021 edition? Um, I think the thing that they did well was selling Disney Plus. I think that was probably their largest goal going into this expo. And I even, I don't know if you noticed this, but the banners that they had, like Down Harbor Boulevard and stuff, also did something kind of clever that I think speaks to what they're doing with Disney Plus and that it didn't just say the ultimate Disney fan event. It also had the ultimate Marvel fan event and the ultimate Star Wars fan event, which is probably debatable because Star Wars Celebration exists. 
But that's kind of what they're doing with Disney Plus, where they have all these brands, and those are the kind of like the different portals of Disney Plus. So I thought that part was interesting, and I think that they definitely sold everyone on that. And then now everyone that was at the expo will go and tell their friends, and you can sign up for D23 and and get that same special deal until September 2nd, I think. So I think that'll help push up sales. Um, things that they could do better or whether they missed the mark for this expo. Um, I think there's still a lot we need that needs to be announced about the parks. I don't think we learned everything about Epcot or some other projects in the works. So I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more than that. They kind of hit on things that they announced last time and just gave us minor updates like, okay, it's opening in summer 2020 instead of just regular 2020, you know? Um, so I, I would have liked some more some more in that department. And in terms of improvements for 2021, I actually thought that the the way that they did the security and everything this time worked pretty well. I could see how if you were staying at the Hilton, it would have been disappointing because it lost a lot of its luster based on the way you had to walk in order to go through the central security hub. Um, but I thought it worked well for the rest of the time. And But from what I hear from people is that they just constantly need to be working on the communication between between cast members and between the cast members and Anaheim uh, Convention Center security and all that stuff. Uh, because I've heard from so many people that, you know, the rules kind of change on them for overnight lineups and what's permitted and what's not. And is this the line for X? So, you know, I don't have the, that experience personally just because I walk right in and I go to my booth. Um, but I think that's just always something that could use improvement regardless of how much they improve from year to year. Yeah, no, those are valid points for sure because, you know, it's a, I can imagine how much of a logistical nightmare it is to stage an event of this magnitude. But uh, ultimately, if, if certain entities aren't communicating with one another or at least have the right information, it can lead to a lot of frustration. I mean, I guess there is always the chance that it won't be in Anaheim. And, and that's always been a, a rumor ever since the the first one. But at the same time, even though it would be nice to mix it up, I think if they're starting to just get comfortable in Anaheim and getting that down pat, why would they try to take a chance by going anywhere else? Exactly. Yeah. And I just remember thinking back to the first expo, even though it wasn't uh, quite as busy, but there was a lot of uh, chaos in terms of uh, lines and, and not knowing where you're supposed to be. I feel like they've really refined that um, mm-hmm. in terms of with signage and um, guest flow into and out of venues. Uh, that seems to have improved remarkably over the over the past many years. I guess I should say that I guess I should say that they should also improve the reservation system since I know there was definitely some glitches there. Oh yes, oh yes, and uh, that's uh, definitely a, a recurring theme um, in recapping the expo with folks too. So um, hopefully, hopefully they learn from some of their pitfalls this time around. But I think it's probably it's- necessary, though. I mean. They had to test it somehow. Oh, it's just unfortunate there's no real way to test it without, you know, just launching it. So, again, not something I had to personally endure, but I sympathize with those who did. Exactly, exactly. Well, at this point, I'm going to ask you some 
uh, Disney-related questions that I ask all of my guests. So it's a segment on Notably Disney that we call Ask My Questions and Get Some mm-hmm. Answers. And uh, this includes three standard music-related questions, two standard book-related questions, and one random Disney question. So, Kyle, are you ready? I I, I guess so. Okay, I promise there's... There, there are no wrong answers. You might have listeners who disagree with your picks, but that's quite all right. Oh, um, I've already got a Hocus Pocus mob after me anyway, so. I was going to say, you know, that <laughs> that alone that alone may uh, cause some frustration. But your first music-related question, as my I continue to lose my voice more and more, uh, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Oh, while growing up, um, I'm going to have to say Aladdin. I mean, I was like eight. And all, what, the, what year did Aladdin come out? 92. So I guess I was still really young when that came out. Did it, was there a particular song that you listened to the most? I think Friend Like Me. I think that's mm-hmm. the most fun. And it's also interesting going back and listening to some of those those songs and many other Disney ones and just realizing that the vocabulary in them isn't isn't as basic as you think it would be. Like, I don't know a lot of people that offhandedly know what nom de plume means or maitre d' even, or uh, lots of different things that catch my ear. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting that they threw that into a, like, no kids understanding what that means. Well, that's hilarious. You know, it's funny because I'm hoping to develop an episode related to words we learned from Disney songs because oh, there you go. Aladdin is full of them. Like I think of like uh, Prince Ali, he says a coterie, um, C-O-T-E-R-I-E, and that's like a, a group of uh, of something. So like that's just a fun word. <laughs> or genuflect, show some respect, down on, down on one knee. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, so your second... Uh, music question is what Disney <coughs> excuse me what Disney song uh, most recently got stuck in your head okay so we have the French version of the Moana soundtrack um, it's called Viana in France for some reason and so there's the one part in the reprise I, actually I don't know if it's technically the reprise of how far I'll go but there's a part where you know she goes I am Moana but in French, she says, Je suis Viana. So my wife and I sing that all the time. Oh, that's great. Wow. Uh, what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Underrated music? Um, I don't know about the rest of the music, but I really like the Johnny Resnick song from Treasure Planet. I'm still here. I remember liking that one a lot. I haven't listened to it in a while, but... I have a soft spot for that, so. Yeah, that's a favor of mine, too. That's fantastic. On to the the book-related questions. Uh, What's the most recent Disney book that you've read? Um, Well, I just started Aaron Wallace's uh, new Magic Kingdom book, the 2020 edition. So I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to count that anyway. Okay, that totally counts. Uh, next question, if you could write another Disney book on any topic, what would it be about? Probably something about the foreign parks, 
So my first book, I had only visited the domestic parks in Tokyo. So I'd really like to write something now that I've been to all of them. Um, I don't know if it would be the same sort of style, like sharing true stories about it or just kind of, yeah, I don't quite know exactly what it would be, but I just love the foreign park so much. And I'm really excited that it seems like more people are getting to go. So I'd just like to kind of continue that conversation and pitch people on why they, they should go to them, even if they think that they've experienced everything in America. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, you're definitely in a unique territory to have visited all the destinations. So that's pretty cool. So last question, and it's actually connected uh, to this. Uh, given that I know you've been to Tokyo Disney Resort, is there a specific attraction that you can only find there that you'd like to see brought stateside? That's a little difficult because my favorite attraction in the entire resort is probably uh, Sinbad Storybook Voyage. I'm not sure where it would fit in America. And obviously, as much as I would want more access to it, I am, I am kind of one of those people that likes that the parks are all different and have unique attractions that you can only experience somewhere. So it's hard for me to say I absolutely want them to bring it here, but I, I love that attraction. And I guess if more people could experience it, then that's a good thing. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes complete sense. And it's a great song, too. It's a song by Alan Menken. It's sung in Japanese in the in the attraction. So I think you would definitely love it. That's awesome. Well, uh, as we conclude, uh, how can listeners, <clears throat> excuse me, how can listeners uh, find you on social media or online for that matter? Uh, so you can follow, follow me on Twitter at Kyle Burbank. Um, also follow at laughing underscore place and laughingplace.com. Not, not everything I write over there has my name on it, but my wife and I both uh, work for the, for that site and put up a lot of the news and stuff. So be sure to follow us for Disney news. And then of course you can follow find my book, the e-ticket life on Amazon and yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, Kyle, thanks again for coming on Notably Disney. And uh, yeah, glad we're able to talk a little bit about D23 Expo. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I hope your your voice returns. (laughs) Me too, me too. Well, that wraps up this episode of Notably Disney. Thanks go out to Mr. Daps and Kyle Burbank for coming on Notably Disney to discuss their D23 Expo experiences. And more Expo coverage will continue next week as I speak with more attendees who lend further context on great music and book-themed content they've checked out at D23 Expo. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.